What's going on, lacrosse fans? This is TYC here for the BTB Podcast. We've got episode 11 on deck. It's Friday the 13th, and it feels like it's Friday the 13th. Quite frankly, some of the worst news we've ever heard in the sport of lacrosse and in the sports world in general in my lifetime, and I think of all time. A complete and utter shutdown of the spring season for both lacrosse and all NCAA sports. No NCAA tournaments as well as NBA, MLB, NHL leagues all seeing suspended periods of play, pausing, or straight-up cancellations or delays. So pretty much utter chaos and madness. We've been following this along for a few days, an emergency podcast that I don't want to have to make, but I have to. This is the world we live in. News doesn't stop for anybody. So here we have on deck another episode 11 of the BTB pod. We'll get into everything that's gone on in the last few days and sort of try to work through it. I know a lot of discussion has been going on Twitter. I'll try not to repeat a lot of what's sort of been already said and discussed, but here we go and let's roll the intro. On his second straight in overtime, Salcido down the alley to the middle. Tromboli in traffic, shoots! seconds left. Stotts is going to have to let it fly. He checks the clock. Rice with one. Oh! It's over! Rice to Donahue! Ball game! Gate behind the back and the shot to goal by Greg Burns. And get the assist to Paul Gate with a nice behind the back pass to Burns. Quick feed. Oh, what a play! <laughs> Miles Thompson. The catch and behind the back release. It's unbelievable. Rather disappointing, I won't be able to hear that Syracuse announcer's voice for the rest of the season and watch my cues go on as they were the number one team in the nation and had a pretty promising season. But that's been the story of every single program across the country. Um... No more college lacrosse. There were some Division three programs still remaining in the mix, but my brother uh, just spoke to his team, Western New England, and it's official for them. Uh, my friend who's on the Ithaca College team, they were called quits today. The Liberty League Conference um, made their decision, and there's officially no more lacrosse. So some obvious questions uh, remained. I think everyone was wondering, are the players going to get that extra year of eligibility that was solved this morning um, pretty quickly, and that's good on the NCAA to get that done and give the players peace of mind, as well as the fans who were almost complaining probably just as much as the players about whether that would be the outcome or not. But the other big question remains about scholarships for those players who do return, roster spots. It really is going to throw a wrench into the mix of recruiting and freshman classes Ty Zanders made a pretty good point that this will probably have a little ripple effect for the next few seasons or so um, with sort of bigger programs possibly getting some either transfers from the Ivies because we've seen a million times about that discussion that they don't really have many graduate programs or single year programs that players could return to so they'd have to either transfer or players at normal colleges staying where they are or possibly even transferring so that's a whole can of worms in itself Um, But the added variable of scholarships is definitely one to 
be waiting on and see how that unfolds. And lastly is sort of tying into that is where will these players go using that fifth year or the extra year they're given of a, you know, a junior or a senior, etc. Or will they just go pro? I just saw Grant Amen's Instagram post with presumably all the other seniors on the Nittany Lions team um, next to one of the uh, statues on campus. And it was sort of a thank you post. It could have just been a simple thank you to the rest of the senior class, guys he's been around with since freshman year. Um, but I might have hinted that he might just be going pro. I mean, you know, if Mac O'Keefe doesn't come back, you know, maybe he hedges towards going professional to the PLL. We don't know what he'll do. We don't know what any of these guys are really going to do, how much they value that college process, that college season. If they want to go get a better education by transferring somewhere for a single year, we really don't know. And I think that's sort of the biggest question mark remaining after the dust has sort of settled. But before that dust was able to settle, there was a lot of a lot of action, um, a lot of reactions from all around the NCAA. Uh, U.S. Lacrosse Magazine did a good job of sort of compiling a lot of those reactions. I have it pulled up here. Um, you know, Coach Petromala tweeting out, "Heartbroken for our guys, especially the seniors." I think everyone can understand that message. Ron Pinnell giving a really good tweet on Instagram about Grant Ament. I'm saying, thinking about my guy, I spoke with him earlier and he broke my heart saying, quote, I always thought I'd be able, I would be in control of when the last time I put on a uniform was. Uh, Pinnell then saying, looking forward to watching you work at the next level. So maybe Pinnell expects him to go pro. We don't know. Next, you know, Travis Eldridge of, of Lacrosse Sports Network doing a great job of that final epic game of the season between Cornell and Penn State, uh, quoting, my heart is broken, my spirit is broken. The Stony Brook women's lacrosse coach um, hopped on to the lacrosse network show to share his thoughts. Obviously very upset. Um, there was an impromptu senior day at Fresno State uh, for a girls team. It appears a video of their handful of seniors left. Um, Notre Dame women's coach tweeting out a collage of photos. Um, you know, a, a women's player on Army saying... I can't look at this and not cry my eyes out. Time flies too fast. Not ready for it to be over. Uh, another collage of photos. Um, just a tons of coaches. Justin Ward of the Army West Point men's team. This team will be remembered forever. Um, it goes on and on. Denver, a picture of their last practice. All the guys at midfield. Same with Denver. Same with Delaware. Princeton, obviously we all saw that video that Michael Sowers put up by himself. Um... Kyle Harrison, obviously pros touching on it. Guys who recently graduated, they they feel that pain. Not as strongly, but but they can feel that pain. Um, I had a little bit of inside information. I, I saw a text message that was sent from Coach Shea at Yale um, saying explaining sort of when the news broke. He says that they were out at practice and the athletic director came onto the field and told them the news. The whole team was in tears they asked if they could still play, and they spent the rest of the practice just playing their butts off, beating the crap out of each other, um, just scrimmaging for an hour, just really giving it their all. A lot of frustration, I'm sure, and a lot of a lot of passion as well. Shea feels helpless, so horrible. Those kids could care. Those kids care more than anybody, and they're even seniors thinking of dropping out this spring to try to salvage that year obviously now they've sort of been rewarded in getting that extra year of eligibility but I don't need to go on everyone sort of gets it everyone was seeing these things on Twitter but it you, you can't harp on it enough it is just so so heartbreaking 
I mean, I have a handful of players I know that I played with from high school. They're they're up at the Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. It doesn't matter. They were they were very bummed. I was trying to, you know, text them to sort of see what the updates were, and they'd simply respond with "We're done," and they'd give me nothing else. Um, I asked a friend of mine if he was going to use that extra year, and he doesn't think he will because um, it is a commitment. Um, it really is. Um, but that's as, as far as it goes, those are sort of just the, the reactions from the people that matter most. And that's the players, you know, obviously coaches put in just as much time behind the scenes during practice, during games. It's, it's strenuous. I had one player telling me a coach was in tears while having to tell them the news. The season was over. Um, it's just an incredibly unforeseen and unfortunate situation that I don't think anyone has ever planned for or even imagined um, in sort of this modern modern era. Now, I could sit here and harp on how horrible the situation is and continue to drag on how miserable it will be without lacrosse, but I think there's a positive to be able to look at from this. And most people are looking at it as a negative, and I did too at first, and it was how unreal the season had been so far up to its abrupt end. Um, I think it should be celebrated, you know, how great it was so far. And it's unfortunate we don't get to see the end. I think that's an obvious point. But I think we should just look at, 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 at the surface level. So many upsets. I mean, I have never seen more unranked teams come out and ball out versus top-ranked opponents. I mean, fantastic back-and-forth games. I mean, look, at, again, the most recent one, Penn State and Cornell unbelievable. I wasn't able to watch it. I was in the city the entire afternoon. I still need to watch that on demand on the lacrosse sports network. You had a lot more lower to mid tier division one teams showing out in those big games. Parody was evident more than ever. Um, my friend, Jose Boyer, who's an LSM on Notre Dame. He called this in the preseason when he was checking out my rankings podcast about the top 20 in the preseason he goes, what's crazy is you're going to see a lot of those lower 15 to 20 teams taking on, if not beating, those top five, top 10 teams. And that's literally exactly what happened. So good on him. I had to give him a shout out for that, for that hot take. But I think, I think because of another year with the shot clock, teams were really able to dial in their game plans and sort of use the film from last year as everyone was, uh, was sort of adjusting to this in the preseason and obviously during the season. Um, but I think that extra year helped. And I think just overall, players are just getting better. You're, you're getting guys from, from, from Oregon, from all over the country, going unforeseen in the recruiting process, which is a whole topic in itself. But landing at these schools, I mean, you got guys at Mercer who, who are scoring five goals a game. Sean Goldsmith, I think his name name is. You know, Griffin Brown at Colgate, you know, um, Mike Hawkins at Colgate. I mean, these are just games I remember from watching myself, these names sticking out. I mean, guy, like there's just good players getting to more and more programs, and it's quite frankly awesome to watch. And while this season may always have an asterisk over it for the rest of history, um, I think the asterisk could also mark a new point in the game to sort of build off of these points. If it wasn't ever evident enough, um, you got to truly cherish every opportunity you get to play in college. No, if it's lacrosse, if it's basketball, it doesn't matter. Look at these guys not unable to play in March Madness their senior year. I mean, I could not imagine that. I really could not imagine that. But, you know, if it, if it didn't hit you hard enough, I think now, you know, players on these teams and incoming 
players because I think some guys maybe lack that sort of unity or stronger passion with you know a lot of club ball going on and recruiting taking over their minds in terms of just want to go division one you know bringing you back to that team mindset like you know this game could be taken away from you at any no at any moment and you won't be able to have any control over it so I think that may um, sort of give a lesson if it wasn't again already evident enough I know a lot of these guys don't take things for granted but next season is just is going to be another level it's not going to be a revenge season of sorts but these guys are going to be hungry the returners guys playing for those seniors who didn't get to go and just in general getting cut short they've got a way longer off season here and then they got to go through the fall ball the grueling off season again so next season i think is going to be off the charts and we should expect to see more of this great play i think too it's going to teach schools across all sports to know how to obviously approach these situations uh, and to sort of effectively handle them even better than they did already i think it wasn't much of a panic, but it's there's too much of a liability and risk that you can't take with teams traveling, especially in athletics, if not colleges in general, bringing in student uh, populations from all over, international, you know, over borders, etc. So I think them handling that um, the way that they did w- was was somewhat swift, um, but I think they'll definitely be able to to do that better going forward in any kind of situation, not just a pandemic, because this is rather unique compared to most things. And three, I think teams are only going to continue to improve, kind of going on what I was saying before. Parity is going to definitely become a, a theme here. Um, here's, a, here's, a, here's an interesting stat for you. So the four teams in last year's championship, Duke, Virginia, Yale, and um, Penn State, excuse me, four teams in that last year's championship weekend, all of their losses this season were to either teams that didn't make the tournament at all in 2019 or were unranked this year besides Penn beating Duke. That's the only game that it was two ranked opponents and they both were in the playoffs last year. Otherwise, all of their quote upsets, I guess, or losses came from unranked teams or teams that didn't even make the playoffs last year. I think that speaks a lot. That should say something and we can only expect that to get better going forward. And now to build off of that celebratory attitude I'd like to have, um, I want to sort of go to the players, the players themselves, the senior class, which was slated to be one of the best in a while in terms of drafting professionally, but even so, just talent across the board. Um, I want to make a point about about this this pretty special group. Um, and while we didn't get to see Michael Sowers, Grant Ament, Jeff T, T.D. Erland, Kraus, Bernhardt, live out their senior seasons. We got to see some of their best lacrosse in just this season alone, let alone last year and their careers as a whole. I think to celebrate their careers and themselves, um, as well as this season, uh, does them justice, does them as much justice as they can get. I mean, first, you have to go with Sowers. He basically came into this season and said, I'm the best player on the field, no matter who who we're playing against. Virginia goes 4-4. Four and four looked like the best player on the field, made Princeton look like the better team. And if the season finished, which is, you know, sad to think about, but if the season finished, he could have finished, he could have um, ended up being ranked top seven, if not even more ever in assists. He was on a, he was on a historic pace this season. Let, do not, let's do not get that twisted. Um, he was on pace to beat any of his, his uh, assist amounts he's had in years past. 
Um, and he could have finished top seven, top six ever in assists. And next, Grant Nement, another assist man. He left us with an absolute duel versus the NLL lottery pick Jeff Teat. I mean, now again, I keep bringing up that game, but it was it was phenomenal. Just from what I'm hearing and the highlights I saw, all I, that that's all I needed to see. That game was incredible. I'll watch the full thing soon. But he gives that ridiculous behind-the-back assist, um, just reminding everyone he's got that in his back pocket. Um, and meanwhile, on the other side, Jeff Teat um, goes down to ice the game with 30 seconds left and 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 give them the lead, and then the face-off man seals it. I mean, I mean, Teat reminds everybody there how much of an issue he was to guard, and it's sort of on a high note as he'll probably go into the draft um, unless he transfers somewhere else. Uh, and to go back to Ament really quickly, um, Ament has had had the single greatest assist season ever last year, 96 in 17 games. That's the highest average per game at 5.65 per game in NCAA history um, last year. And also, if this season played out similar to Sowers, he could have finished top five ever, even top three in assists. He finished at 192 in these seven games they played, six, seven games. He's at 192, which had him as sixth. The next are the next people up are is 204, 205, 205 again, which is fifth and fourth. And then third place is 221. Second is 225, and first is 231. So at 192, he would only need 12 more to get himself tied for sixth. And then it's 205, 205 for fifth and fourth. So he could easily be in fourth place by getting 14 more assists. That could be two games for him. Then you're talking about 221 as third. That's another 16. I think he could get another 30 assists in the rest of the season. I mean, he had 96 last year. That's, that is ungodly. That, that's just ridiculous. So he had the potential and again, that is the unfortunate side of it. As much as we could celebrate it, and it's fun to speculate, he won't be able to put his name in the in the record books in that regard, but he could have finished top three all-time in assists. Next up, T.D. Erland, the best face-off man that's ever played the game. Uh, he was matching his 76% clip last season. Uh, so far this year, he had 61 ground balls this year as well. And while we didn't get to see him set all of the face-off records, he pretty much did. I mean, in terms of career face-off percentage to beat out Trevor Baptiste, he had 70% his freshman year, 79% at Albany the year they went to the Final Four, and then 76% last year. So that left him at a 75% average going into this season, which is already higher than Baptiste. And then had he maintained his percentage from this season, it would have pretty much stayed put, if not been higher, a little bit. So he would have finished his career with the best face-off percentage, and he already had set the ground ball record at the start of this season, a game or two in. He was at 810 leaving their last game. He could have easily reached 900, or in a really good playoff run, 1,000, because in years past, he's had over, had over 100 ground balls, um, and so he would need, obviously, um, 190, which is a lot. But I think he had gotten close to 200 that year at Albany uh, when they went to the Final Four, which is remarkable. That's absolutely stupid. To get to 1,000 career ground balls, I mean, if not 900, 
but he he blew the last guy's record out of the water. He he would have blown it out of the water being at 900. I think it was 753. The guy from Bryant way back when, um, 2012 to 15. Uh, he would have blown that that ground ball record out of the water, and he's got the percentage. I think faceoff wins is the hard stat. I wasn't able to check that or look into that 100%, but I would imagine he'd have a, he would have had a crack at that again this year. Um, and it does suck that he won't have that etched into the record books either, similar to a Men or Sowers or any of those guys, but we'll have to live with it. And it's sort of, you know, and if you know, you know, in the lacrosse community, everyone will remember for years to come, all of these guys' names and what they were capable of. And I think that at least in itself is some kind of closure and again, worth celebrating because again, we got to watch them play. That's an honor in itself. Watching Pat Spencer play those last few years before last season was an honor and really, really awesome. And it's similar with these guys. I mean, we're going to remember, because the season was cut short, how unbelievable Michael Sowers was going to be, and possibly the Tuaraton. And we'll get possibly to points like that later. But again, it, it's worth celebrating and worth noting these guys' careers and, and what they were doing for us this season and in years past. Before we continue with the last bit here, I want to acknowledge and reiterate from the last segment that those aren't the three guys, I think, that are worth remembering. You know, Ament Sowers, Ireland, were all fantastic. But guys like Jeff Teat, I only mentioned a little bit in there, but he had an unbelievable season back in his sophomore year for Cornell. Uh, when I think they went like 13-3. and three. Uh, They had their interim head coach. I mean, they took the NCAA by storm. He had a phenomenal year. He was so much fun to watch. Um, when they played Syracuse, they're locking him off with a shorty. I mean, that's how much respect he was demanding as just a sophomore and really made an exclamation point, you know, saying, this is, this is me. I don't think many people had him on their radar for that season, but he was just off the hook. Um, and, and this year was doing very, very similar things. You saw it in that last game and had a really big part in a lot of their good wins. Um, and running a very, very high-scoring offense. I mean, they were they were set to do some damage, and they were arguably the number one team in probably next week's poll had the season carried on. And even guys like Jared Bernhardt, I mean, an all-time talent, you know, just another Maryland great. I mean, he'll go on to use his extra year, I think, to play football. He had, he had planned to do that anyways. And guys like Michael Krause, having somewhat of a slower year this year, but an absolute matchup problem and an essential part of that lethal offense down in Virginia. And last but not least, my group of seniors at Syracuse. I really thought this was our year, and it's a damn shame we're losing this group of guys. Drake Porter and Nett was having an All-American season. Steven Rafis from Behind X, just always doing great. Nick Mellon, one of the best cover men in the country. He was hurt, which is even more unfortunate. He doesn't even get a chance to come back. Jamie Trimboli, one of the best middies in the country. Peter Durth, one of the best two-way middies and just utility guys in the country. Danny Varello, one of their two face-off guys. I mean, that's a hard, hard loss for Syracuse. And a few of those guys, I think Mellon, Rafis, were redshirt seniors. So I'm not sure if they're staying for a sixth year. I don't know how academically it works at Cuse with programs or or anything else like that. So that's a real big loss for Syracuse going forward, and that's going to hurt as a fan, definitely. But 
last little bit here before we wrap up the episode. I wanted to talk about the PLL and sort of the uncertainty surrounding it as of right now. I mean, it is another professional league. It tours around the country. All the players are playing and they're involved. So worrying, obviously, about that spread. I know it doesn't start for another 70 days or so. May 29th is the first game in Boston. I don't know what they're going to do. We don't know how the situation, if it's going to persist the way it is. Scientists are saying the virus isn't even at its peak yet. Um, In a span of two months, does it reach that peak and subside a little bit? I don't know. But I'm, I'm really, really struggling to think about the PLL even delaying or canceling its season. I mean, it goes all the way into September to begin with. I don't know how much later they can drag it on weather-wise. Um, but, I mean, there's no reason for them to not follow the protocol that all the other leagues have been taking, considering they want to be perceived legitimately and as a, as a, as a serious league. I think they'll have to take you know legitimate measures uh, to sort of match the attitude that all the other professional leagues have in taking care of their players and public image. And so I think that that may be a result, um, unfortunately enough. But again, this is something bigger than sports and really, you know, bigger than us as a country. Handling this pandemic is something very, very serious. I mean, it's worldwide affecting over 100 countries. And, you know, while all of this is unfortunate, while I'm doing this episode to sort of recap the very dire situation that it is losing the lacrosse season, this is something way more important Um, nature is a very powerful thing and we will have to take care of that first before we can resume having fun with our beloved sports to watch again hopefully not that's the that is not the case with the PLL and we'll cross that bridge when we get there I suppose again 70 days till that's slated to begin so we'll be monitoring the coronavirus you won't be able to avoid it on tv or twitter so we'll be doing this together and hopefully it it works out for the better And we at least have both drafts to look forward to, that being the expansion and the college draft. So that'll be a surprise to hear what players declare they'll be going to the PLL or MLL uh, or what guys don't say anything and they may be heading back for a year. So there's excitement in either direction there and that will be content down the road for us to enjoy and for me to talk about. So again, we'll look forward as this situation progresses and we'll be doing it together as we always have in the lacrosse community. And before we wrap up the show here, I want to send my regards and my thoughts out to all my boys who I played with in high school that just had their seasons cut short. I really can't imagine how that feels. It's probably so painful. I mean, I lost my club season. That's been out the window pretty much, having to go play other schools. But that that pales in comparison. And I wanted to give a shout-out to all my boys who I played with in the past who, again are suffering pretty hard right now. Tyler Makar, first of all, at St. Joseph's University, balling out this year. As soon as he stepped on campus freshman year, he's been their number one defenseman, just locking it down. Helped them have a great season this year so far, getting some big wins and putting them on the map. Uh, Liam Donnelly, goalie over at Utah, team captain. He transferred there last year, made a difference right away. He's always had a great attitude, and it sucks that his last year's got to be cut short like this, but Liam's a beast, lefty goalie, don't plan on scoring on him. Jose, my friend, as I mentioned earlier in the show, LSM over at Notre Dame, graduated with him in 2017, kid's an athlete. I'm uh, getting runs for them last year and this year for the Irish. Kyle Casey, a midi at Albany, graduated with him, had that behind-the-back goal versus Drexel, if you remember that. 
That was a sick game. Kyle's a beast. Anthony Altamare, face-off midi. Same thing. He's over at Albany for the Great Danes. Pinching and popping. Uh, Dom Trophy, a midi at Bentley University. Division II. Uh, gotten playing time this year, so that's got to be tough. Steven Viteri, attackman at Cortland. Just transferred over there, too. Um, he's got one more year, though. Hopefully he makes the most of it. I get to see him play uh, Ithaca in that annual rivalry game. So one more chance for that. Brett Maycar, stud defenseman at Maryland. You've seen me talk about him enough on Twitter or my Instagram stories. Kid's an absolute beast. Uh, he'll have two years to make up for it, and uh, he'll come back even even scarier, I can guarantee you. My two boys at Marist, Jameson and Hunter, attackman and Mitty graduated the year after me. Obviously, you know I loved Marist because those are two of my best friends there. They are having a great season so far. Definitely bound to make the tournament and win their conference again, which would have been two years in a row. I just saw them today. They're pretty bummed, but you know it is what it is. You've, you've got to be able to take blows and, and keep on going. Louis Ragusa, my, my man, the goalie at Pace University, NE10 Rookie of the Year last year. Kid's been balling out at Pace uh, in between the pipes. Me and him, multiple multiple shooting sessions over the summer he's always down he loves lacrosse he's got one more he's got a he's got two more years and he will definitely make him count richie Ginoska also a short stick d mid at pace locking it down always dj richie g dan o'mara also over at marist graduated two years below me ben shelley gang unstoppable back in high school keegan dollar over at suny geneseo starting to get runs as a freshman Brendan Williams, face-off man at UMass. They were having a hell of a year. Chris Perino, defender over at MIT. Kid's a genius and a great stick. Always knocking my passes down in practice. Can't say I was happy about it, but an absolute stud at that. And again, that's just a shout-out for all the guys I played with in high school who are going through a pretty brutal time, losing their season short. But I know they're all going to come back pissed off, ready to go for next season, and they're going to kill it, and they're going to help contribute to, like I said, what will be an awesome, awesome lacrosse season next year, and I can't wait to watch. This has been the BTB Pod, episode 11, a rather unfortunate one, but again, celebrate and look at what we did get out of these awesome, awesome players and the season that we did have so far. Don't know what the episodes will be like going forward on content. I'm working on some stuff with some other dudes in the lacrosse community, so we'll try to spice things up going forward. So definitely stay tuned to the Twitter or Instagram. You know, Tell your friends if they're lacrosse fans, if they're fiending for some, uh, for some content and some information, as we'll obviously be without games to watch. So as always, stay tuned to the Twitter. I'm always most active on there. I'll catch you all soon enough. Peace.